Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And this is Molly. Molly, have you ever heard or used perhaps those really lame jokes about uh, guys who are maybe grumpy and being cranky one day saying, oh, don't mind him. He's just on his period. No, I've never said that. That's good. I just called them sad bunnies. Sad oh, someone's bunnies. a sad bunny today. That's way better than the uh, the male period joke. Uh, but the reason why I bring up what is perhaps, you know, one of the lamest gender jokes I can think of off the top of my head is because you and I found out that um, while, you know, men obviously don't have periods like women do, there's a chance that men might go through menopause. Right. And the reason you brought up the period thing is just the controversy around whether this condition exists kind of relates to whether we try and make men and women equal in this regard. You know, it happens in the same time of life as women go through menopause. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of the same symptoms. So now they've given this new term to, you know, the cranky, grouchy middle-aged men of male menopause. And it's been, you know, you'll find all these articles. Does it exist? Does it not exist? And that's what we're going to dive into today. Yes. Can males really go through menopause? And you might hear um, male menopause also referred to by a more clinical term called andropause. Andro, the root for male. Um, and it generally involves the same symptoms or some of the same symptoms as uh, menopause in women, which can include hot flashes and a drop in libido, moodiness, fatigue, weight gain, depression, decreased muscle mass, and bone loss. My goodness, don't we have lots to look forward to, Molly? (laughs) Well, at least we don't have to face the threat of a lack of morning erections, because that's also a risk for men going through menopause. But we do have vaginal dryness, so (laughs) tit for tat. It's not a contest, Kristen. I'm just giving out another symptom of signs your testosterone is low because that is what's at the root of this idea of male menopause. After the age of 35, a man's testosterone levels drop about 1% each year. And those who claim that male menopause is a real thing claim that men's levels of this hormone get so low that it causes these symptoms of menopause. Now, just in case you're wondering, in a 40-year-old man, the average amount of testosterone in his blood is 500 nanograms for a deciliter of blood. Now, if you can envision exactly what that looks like, then bully for you, because <laughs> I can't. But just to give you an idea of what's too low, um, anything below 300 nanograms, is, you're, you're trending into that uh, that low testosterone territory. Now, the reason that I think this, this diagnosis is pretty controversial is that, as I said, it happens naturally in men as you age, your testosterone drops. And the question is, whether it can drop so much that, it, that that's what causes these symptoms. And here's where we get into the argument of what's correlation and what's causation. Mm-hmm. Um, but real quick, let's talk about reasons that testosterone does drop as you age. There are two reasons it can drop really low. One is dysfunction in the testicles. They just stop producing as much as they should. Mm-hmm. And one is dysfunction in the hypothalamus where the pituitary gland is. Yes, and that has to do with uh, testosterone secretion, mm-hmm. correct? Yes, now, while we might think of testosterone as something that, you know, fuels a man's, well, and women, we also 
um, our bodies also create testosterone. But for men, we might think of it uh, as something that motivates, um, you know, moods, certain moods and sex drive as well. But testosterone does a lot more um, to regulate different functions in the body. It's vital to a man's potency and sex drive, obviously, but it's also important for maintaining muscle strength, healthy bones, positive mood and high energy. Now, here's where we get back to the correlation causation thing, Kristen, because as you said, let's take low energy, for example. Mm-hmm. You come home, you got no energy, you probably don't exercise. Yep. You probably just grab whatever is right there to eat for dinner. You don't take the time to fix yourself something nice. As a result, you're going to gain some weight. And that, in turn, has been linked to diabetes, cardiovascular disease, even death. So a lot of researchers are trying to figure out if treating this low testosterone is the is the key to solving these larger problems. But again, correlation versus causation, does diabetes show up in a man because he's got low testosterone or was he already predisposed to diabetes and also happens to have low testosterone? Right. And if we're talking about um, sex drive, for instance, which is one of the main reasons, I think, why men seek out clinical help for this in the first place. Um, you know, if you're, you're talking about men gaining weight, people who are overweight, that's been linked to a lowered sex drive as well. So there are all these all these factors, like you said, that could be contributing to these negative symptoms. So it's very hard to get a diagnosis of this condition, though it's estimated that 25 million men in the United States suffer from the condition. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Kristen, when I was reading these articles, it was very confusing because you'd be reading about a guy that they decided had uh, andropause or male menopause, and you'd read about how he didn't want to have sex with his wife and he didn't want to move off the couch. And he was and moody. He was moody and grumpy. And at first I was just like, if this is what male menopause is like, I bet a lot of men are just getting on Viagra and they're, or they're just getting on an antidepressant and they're not treating this whole picture. But it sounds like, you know, it takes a while for this whole picture of this condition to emerge because the symptoms happen so gradually. Well, it's interesting, too, because an article in Discovery Health, to your point, uh, mentions that while a lot of men who have these these symptoms will end up on antidepressants, and it points out that if men have other symptoms of male menopause, specifically a lack of libido, then the antidepressant is only going to aggravate um, aggravate that and actually make this uh, possible andropause even worse. And it's I bet it's so hard to go into a doctor to talk about this because I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I don't know if studies have been done on this, but I'm guessing the two hardest things to talk to a doctor about are depression and low libido. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have to admit that there's both in addition to all these other really undesirable symptoms, I think that's why publicizing this condition is a good idea because it might make a man take a holistic look at his at his health. But on the other side, there are a lot of researchers and doctors out there who are cautioning us against making male menopause sort of a default thing that men go through because not all men go through it. It's That's why it's another difference between male menopause and female menopause. Yeah, because the risk of just throwing out this um, this male menopause diagnosis is that, you know, prescription drug companies are going to cash in on it big time and uh, start selling a lot of testosterone replacement therapies, which would be the male equivalent of hormone replacement therapies that women take when they go through menopause. For instance, men 
men right now who are diagnosed with low testosterone. Um, and according to this article in the Daily Mail, there are 43,000 such men in the UK, just to give you an idea. Um, and these types of treatments that they get can be, will just be testosterone treatments administered by injection every three weeks or every 10 to 14 weeks using skin patches, gels, or implants. So basically they are just amping up the level of testosterone in their bodies. And from the articles that you and I have read, Molly, in some cases men will, you know, almost immediately feel the difference, especially in terms of amped up sex drive and energy. But it seems like after a while, um, it doesn't really go to build up that muscle mass and really the, um, kind of the anatomical changes that happen with, with the low testosterone. It's more of the, I guess, emotional and sexual side effects that are improved. And it sounds like it takes quite a while to figure out the dosing and the, and the means of administering the testosterone that really works for you. There were accounts in some of these articles that, you know, a gel really worked for one guy, but for another, the injection was awful. Um, but there have not been a lot of studies about the long-term use of testosterone injections. And the big red flag to every researcher out there right now is an increased risk of prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. So in response to these health concerns in 2002, uh, the Institutes of Medicine in the U.S. actually conducted a 12-month study to reassess our knowledge about the risks and benefits of testosterone therapy in older men because there were an increasing amount of men who were going on, you know, getting these gels, these uh, these in- testosterone injections, not really knowing what the long-term side effects would be. And a lot of these clinical trials are taking place among younger, healthier men, so you don't really know what the effects might be in the cohort that's actually being affected by this. Um, and the Institutes of Medicine basically concluded that more tests need to be done to get um, FDA approval for these kinds of therapies and um, make sure that there aren't any other like age-related diseases that the testosterone therapies will actually promote. So more studies needed for these testosterone injections. The problem is, is that a lot of doctors are sort of at a loss for what to do if, you know, if you don't want to pursue that alley. Uh, but then again, a lot of them are saying you don't need to do anything. You just need to make healthy lifestyle changes, exercise, eat healthily, perhaps take supplements under the guidance of your doctor, take vitamins. Um, but I think the big takeaway from men is just to look at a picture of health as a whole to combine the fact that you have symptoms related to erectile dysfunction, symptoms related to depression and bodily changes that are happening that may or may not be related to a loss of a hormone. So that's where we are with this right now. But we've got to answer our question, Kristen. Do men go through menopause? So from our sources, Molly, I think that we could say that, yes, this collection of symptoms does happen Mm -hmm. in a percentage of middle-aged and older men. However, the term male menopause is incredibly misleading. So it's really more of a language problem, a terminology problem than... um I guess, misidentifying a medical issue. I think you're right. It seems like, you know, the male menopause term has unfortunately stuck because it's easy for us to create a picture in our mind of what that would look like. But it seems like calling it male menopause does a disservice to a lot of these men who are trying to figure out 
what's going on with them. Right. There was an article that you and I found in the British Medical Journal kind of assessing whether or not male menopause, quote unquote, does exist. And um, Duncan C. Gould and Richard Petty, um, who are two physicians in the UK, said that um, while, yes, these symptoms do exist, um, they suggested that instead of terming it male menopause, they preferred something more along the lines of male climacteric, which is comes from a Greek word that means the rung of a ladder, that's been used in the past to suggest a decline in the hormone concentrations rather than the drop-off that we think of that's associated more with female menopause. Because like you said earlier, Molly, um, what is it, past the age of 30, men naturally have a 1% decrease annually in the amount of testosterone that they produce. And by the time they're 70, that could even go up to 50% of um, the amount of testosterone they, they used to produce. So, yes, that happens, um, but calling it menopause is is not... Not very accurate. Not very accurate, but perhaps just a good thing to know that that happens. In fact, uh, just as one last sort of anecdote, when we were reading this article in the Daily Mail about a guy who uh, had who got the diagnosis of this, mm-hmm. his wife was talking about how she thought he was having an affair. You know, he was never interested in her. He was always moody and distant. Uh, he was mean to the kids. And it was just, you know, it really wreaked havoc on their home life. And she was convinced that he was about to leave her. Turns out, you know, it was just this medical condition. Andropause. Andropause. Or what did you say? Climacteric? I mean, I'm no wordsmith, but that's never going to replace male, male climacteric. Now, that kind of sounds like the opposite. Male climacteric sounds like something that might happen if you take Viagra. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if it's going to catch on. Perhaps. But we did our duty to, to and, publicize it. And on a side note, guys, even though um, this male menopause term is something that seems to have popped up more recently in the news cycle. Research on it goes back to a landmark paper in 1944 that accurately described the symptoms associated with it, which were then reversed by a testosterone replacement, but not by placebo in the male participants in the study. So it's not necessarily a new phenomenon, but I think that, uh, you know, male, male menopause is just such a catchy phrase. Oh, you know, of course. It grabbed my attention. It did. So. And hopefully it grabbed yours and you clicked and got this far on the podcast. Exactly. And maybe some of you out there have stories to share about this phenomenon. Maybe uh, you've experienced some of these symptoms or your spouse has, and we would love to hear from you. The email address, as always, is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And we shall wrap up with a little listener mail. All right. So first off, I have a correction that both Annie and Rachel sent to us about our Wilma Mankiller podcast. Um, both of them sent that, but I'm going to read Annie's email. She writes, NPR's Fresh Air interview aired an old interview with her. It is from that interview that I think a correction should be made to the podcast. In her interview with Terry Gross, Mankiller recounted the car crash she talked about. Indeed, her friend was killed in the collision, but she wasn't in the car with Mankiller. Mankiller actually collided with her friend, or perhaps more accurately, her friend collided with her. Apparently, they were driving towards each other on a one-lane-per-side road, and the friend was attempting to pass in a no-pass zone and ran right into Mankiller. That really stayed with me when she told the interview. Just imagine the odds. Car collisions happen every day, but it's not often the person you hit or the person who hits you as a friend. From what I remember from the interview, it affected her even more than the typical car crash-induced tragedy might have just because the circumstances were so extraordinary. 
All right. Well, we have one here from Jacob, and this is about our Political Quotas podcast. Um, and he said, in your Political Quota podcast, you pontificated on what female politicians would look like in office when they were not the token female. Well, look no further than my beloved Washington state. We have our two-term Governor Gregoire, who is now our first female governor, state senator, state senate majority leader Lisa Brown, and two Count them two female U.S. senators. Senator Patty Murray is one of the most powerful women in the Senate, and she is number four in the Senate in overall political power. The great states of Maine and California join us in having two women represent us as senators. Not to blow Washington's horn, but that's quite a record. Very interesting. So thank you, Jacob. And to wrap things up here, I have an email from Aiden about our podcast on androgyny. As someone who has lived in two genders, I'm transgender female to male, I can tell you that a majority of people are very uncomfortable with an androgynous person appearance, behavior, whatever. Most people tend to lump someone like this as masculine woman or feminine man and won't really let you identify as neither. This is just my experience, of course, and maybe it's different in other places. But when I first began began taking hormones, it quickly became very disconcerting to other people to try to discern my gender, and they would usually assume that I was a very young boy. I got a lot of dirty looks in the women's bathroom before I got the confidence to go to the men's room. Simple things like bathrooms or more complex issues like our insistence on categorizing people and our society's lack of willingness to grant people rights will probably hold us back for a while from androgyny being acceptable or even preferred. It would be really neat to have the no gender tag on a passport or driver's license, though. So thank you, Aiden. And again, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also follow me and Molly on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, you can check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you can find it at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?